Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Okay, so quick announcements. Uh, First thing I got to tell you is that I could tell you how to get, how to get to Sesame Street. But if I did, I'd probably get arrested because I'm under some strict NDA contract that says I'm not allowed to share that information. What I'm trying to tell you is, guys, I went to Sesame Street last week. I went to Sesame Street. I went and spoke to a creative team that works in the Sesame Workshop. uh, And it was an absolute uh, once-in-a-lifetime dream of mine. I did that. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of like lessons and jazz to share with you in episodes in the future. uh, But I got to go watch them film. I met Ernie. I am Ernie. I danced with Ernie. I got it on on film. You can see it on my Instagram, me dancing with Ernie. Uh, it was uh, just the best thing ever. Um, a complete uh, dream come true. And uh, I had such a blast out there doing that. And... Uh, <sighs> When I got back, I realized that we've sold out. We've almost sold out 
of our creative career path handbooks that we're selling at creativepeptalk.com. It's a, it's a little journal workbook that helps you work through the Creative Career Path series on this podcast, episodes 170 to 176. It's basically a method for um, marketing your creative work, developing your creative work with your marketing in mind and uh, kind of succeeding in that, which is obviously a tricky business. Um, go scoop those up before they sell out. We're going to try to order another batch, but it might take a little while. Uh, Scout Books helped us make this happen. They sponsored that product. They make pocket notebooks that you can print the exterior and the interior, and they're super fantastic, Loving, love working with them, and uh, they're going to give you listeners 15% off if you go to scoutbooks.com slash creative pep talk. If you want to make your own handbooks, your own pocket notebooks, your own uh, stuff, go check that out. Thanks, Scout Books. And uh, if you don't want to have to be on the waiting list for those products, go get it before they're out. And um, yeah, let's get into today's episode. So this episode is uh, another episode on distraction. We did an episode, the last kind of monologue episode we did was all about getting distracted by shiny objects that throw you off your path. And we've been doing this 100-day project as a community, uh, and I wanted to just offer some episodes that will help you stay focused and not get distracted by all the very distracting things along the creative career path. Uh, and so we're, we're doing episodes on distractions, and there's a billion different ways we could slice this. And even if you're not doing the 100-day series, uh, success in your creative career is going to require seasons of focus uh, you know, and discipline in, in, in creating enough in one direction to get some momentum uh, and, and some cash in in those ways. And uh, so we're doing that. So this episode is about the distraction of ego. Uh, you getting distracted by your ego. And I want to talk about how that uh, distracts you from building your audience and how it can sabotage your ability to build a loyal audience, uh, a consistent customer base, because you need a consistent customer base to thrive as a, a business or thrive um, as an artist in the long haul. And so uh, that's what this episode's about. Here's something a lot of people don't know is that my first job in the arts was actually with kind of an unconventional medium. It's the medium of sandwiches. That's right. I was a sandwich artist before I was an actual artist. I worked at Subway back in college, and boy, did I hate that job. You know, they call it sandwich art, but I'll tell you what. I got reprimanded for getting too expressive, too expressive with my sauces and uh, and adding a little bit too much, taking a little bit too much artistic license with the sandwich making. And uh, I would get so bored 
while I was serving customers that I would be kind of fantasizing strange things that I could do while I was <laughs> making their sandwich um, or just weird things I could say. And I even remember one time in particular, it's just me and a customer in the shop and I'm making their sandwich and I'm trying to entertain myself by, you know, living out this weird uh, uh, joke fantasy in my mind of things I could do uh, in this moment to, to, to freak out the customer. And I tickle my own fancy so much that I start chuckling while I'm making the sandwich. And I can tell you one thing right now is that customers uh, don't like when you chuckle to yourself as you prepare their food. It kind of, for some reason, makes them uh, feel suspicious. And uh, <laughs> one of these ideas that I had was that I was going to make the sandwich get to the end, and then right before I wrapped up the sandwich, casually just take a giant bite out of the sandwich and then wrap it up and give it to them. And then if they were like, hey, what? you just ate my sandwich, I'd say, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? Just take your sandwich. Here you go. And try to just play, play it off like I hadn't done anything. Um, and that really tickled me. But, uh, you know, of course... You can't do that. If you want to have a sandwich shop that thrives, you can't eat your customers' sandwiches. Like, you can't build a business that way. Uh, people aren't going to pay you for that. Maybe, maybe they'll pay for it as like a gimmick. Maybe they'll take their friends and be like, you got to go to the sandwich shop where the guy eats your sandwich. Um, but pr probably not. Like, you'd have to be really crazy eccentric and entertaining to earn anything on the business model <laughs> of selling sandwiches that you eat. Um, but I feel like we try to do this all the time in creativity. I think we try to build creative careers in which all of the value proposition is in our court. Like we want to be such... Uh, crazy artists that we're just doing this crazy uh, process and art making that's so uh, insanely just interesting that people come from miles around to come glorify our genius, even if it really it, there's nothing in it for them. And I think so much of our creative myth, mythology around what it means to be a great artist kind of centers around this idea. But if you want to, if you're here and you just want to be creative, you're not interested in turning it into a business or a career, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, and I, that's a, not a joke. If you want just that, I suggest going and um, checking out Things like Liz Gilbert, Big Magic, that book. I think she also had a podcast. Um, and a lot of that's just about making art, just for the sake of making art. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you feel like you want to turn this into a career and a business, you've got to play to this rule of business that says in order to thrive, in order to get a consistent customer base, you have to deliver some kind of value on a regular basis that people can bank on. Um, they have to know why are they following you? What do they get from your art? And, uh, and I think if you look at any of your favorite artists or any of your favorite directors or musicians or whoever,
that you followed over the long term, that you will eat up everything that they cook up. You will, uh, you know, you'll watch every movie they come out with. You'll buy every album. I feel like, except for maybe a few exceptions, that those artists deliver some kind of value to you in a consistent way that's also fresh. Because, you know, just like food, art goes stale. You can listen to an album that originally made you bawl your eyes out, but after the 18th time you listen to it or the 55th time you listen to it, uh, it doesn't, it loses its flavor, right? And so you need that artist to come out with another album in a few years that shakes it up a bit, but delivers on why you are a patron. It delivers the thing that you look to. And maybe it's just to feel. Maybe sometimes those feelings are uplifting and sometimes those feelings are um, tragic, but it's just feeling. But I'm guessing, just like your uh, favorite restaurants deliver a particular type of food, you know, whether it's a, the pizza joint or the burger joint or the, the sushi joint. I don't know if there's sushi joints. It doesn't sound right. But uh, I'm guessing that the bands that you follow, that you don't drop off on their path and trajectory over time, the bands that you follow for years and years and years, show up, deliver a consistent type of value that is, that's a fresh take that, uh, that uh, feeds your hunger for that thing in a new way consistently. And uh, why, so, okay, if you can follow me there, then why don't we do it? Here's why I think we don't do it. I think we, uh, we have some mythology in our creative uh, paths that has kind of thrown us off, that's lacking some nuance. It's this idea of listening to yourself. And I actually do think you should listen to yourself, but the trick is that you're not just one you. There's a lot of different voices in your head. And I think a lot of times the you that we listen to as artists is our ego. It's a self-serving, do make whatever you feel like making. And uh, that kind of self-indulgent creativity is really hard to build a business on. We heard Jenny from uh, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams in the last episode tell a story that I think exemplifies this principle so clearly. It's this idea that uh, she had a she had a business, an ice cream business, before she ever had Jenny's ice cream called Scream. And in this business, she would make a different kind of ice cream every day dependent on her own creative journey. Whatever she felt like making that day in her experiments, that's the ice cream that would be for sale. And only that ice cream would be for sale. And they did all right. I think it was novelty. It probably had that little, that gimmicky kind of quality, but they didn't have any raving, loyal, consistent fans that they could build a thriving business on. And she didn't realize why until she went in to another business that she was a patron of, a coffee shop, and they didn't have her favorite scones. And she was like, I come to this place for those scones. Like, I'm not going to come here if you don't have those. I'll just go somewhere else. I'll go somewhere closer. I'll go somewhere more convenient. I'll go somewhere where the coffee's better. And they were just like, whatever, this is what we do. And I think as artists, we do this all the time. And she noticed in herself that that's what she was doing. People would show up to her ice cream stall and say, do you have the salted caramel uh, 
ice cream today? And she'd be like, nope, I've got coconut. I don't know. <laughs> I, tried to, I feel like that could be offensive. I tried to come up with a, uh, a crazy concoction on the spot. I don't know. But she wouldn't have the things that people loved and came to her for every day, every day. And so... Uh, she couldn't build a consistent following of, of raving fans because she was serving her own uh, desire to make whatever she wanted to make rather than making what people wanted from her. And uh, yeah, serving other people and doing whatever people or your audience wants from you, that can be a slippery slope that can then be a distraction too. And we'll talk about that at the end. But I think there's a way into this thinking that will unlock your ability to deliver consistent value. And it's in this nuanced approach to listening to yourself. Because if listening to your ego means making whatever you feel like making, listening to your intuition is how you're going to uh, make whatever you feel like receiving. And it looks like this. When I design a t-shirt and I design whatever I feel like making, it's not always a great t-shirt. It's not always a t-shirt people actually want to wear. It doesn't always, you know, it's all down to whatever the heck I felt like drawing, whatever sounded fun uh, to, to make that day. And it's just serving myself. It's eating my own sandwich, if you will. Uh, and it's not, it's totally disregarding the audience of like, what kind of t-shirts do they want to wear? And that's listening to ego. But if you will listen to intuition and not your ego, I think you ask yourself, not what t-shirt do I feel like making today, but what t-shirt do I feel like wearing today? What t-shirt design would I want to receive from somebody else? And you see, that's still entrenched in the writing what you know. It's the scratching your own itch. It's an authentic uh, creation that comes from your own desires and interests and expertise and intuition. But it acknowledges that this is a gift made for an audience. And I think that type of perspective, that type of creativity will unlock your ability to, uh, to drum up a loyal, crazy, passionate fan base that you can build a career on and really start to thrive. And so next I want to talk to you about uh, a, a method for doing this. Like this is how you actually go about building a creative practice that acknowledges this idea. And then I'm going to give you some specific examples and tactics of this is exactly what it would look like as an example played out in the world. And I'm going to give you like three or four of those. So let's get on to the process. All right. So we talked about why you need to be able to consistently deliver value to an audience in order to turn this thing into a business. And, uh, and if you're just interested in creativity and you're not interested in turning it into a business, this is the wrong podcast for you. However, I will say that I think not only will, uh, the financial or fulfillment 
rise if you can figure out how to deliver consistent value to an audience. It's my experience that the creative fulfillment goes up as well because when you are able to deliver a type of creative value to an audience that is receptive, that that is some of the most exciting art you can make. That type of connection, it elevates your ability financially, but it also elevates your ability creatively. And so how do you do it? Let's talk about the actual practice of what you need to do. The first thing you got to do is you got to ask yourself, what kind of restaurant are you? What kind of value are you going to provide? Are you a pizza joint? Are you a sushi joint? Are you a hamburger joint? Are you a hot chicken joint? Are you a pho joint? What kind of joint are you? Meaning, what kind of value are you going to trade in? Like, what do you want to do for people? The book, The Personal MBA, talks about there's five types of value that businesses can deliver. And it's either bond, learn, protect, acquire, or feel. If you're in fashion, you might be dealing, trading in the values of bonding uh, and acquiring. You know, people's desire to collect things, collect your garments, if you will. But it also might be about identity, bonding with other people, you know, by wearing this stuff. I'm saying I'm a part of this group or you're saying um, something else about your identity, right? So like that's what you're dealing with. If you are a musician or a public speaker, like you might be dealing in a feeling or a particular type of feeling. You know, what do you like when this art does something to you? What kind of feelings do you like to have when you're listening to a song or when you're listening to a public speaker? What do you like? Maybe it's the feeling of being inspired, but it's defining what it is you're trying to do for people like you. You know, I heard, I hear, uh, I hear, I heard uh, Deer Hunter talk about how they basically try, they're a band, if you don't know, they tried to pick up where Pavement, the band, left off uh, and just basically be like, you know the stuff that we used to get from old Pavement records? Let's give people that in our own new way with a fresh take on that type of value. And if I was a musician, I would go back to the value that Sigaros was uh, trying to deliver back in the days of the album Tack, which I think was the last full album of this kind of epic, uplifting feeling. I've got a hankering for that feeling that musicians aren't filling in the gaps with these days. And I need a new album to run to, okay? So if I was a musician, that's what I would do. I'd try to deliver that type of value where they left off. And, uh, you know, the... I, in my own practice, my own illustration practice, the way this scratching my own itch thing has come up is this idea that uh, I've had a real hankering for the t-shirt, graphic t-shirt game from back in 2008. And I got a, could really go for some, uh, t- some t-shirts from that era, uh, you know, with a fresh new flavor and take. So I've been making t-shirts that kind of feel like that because it's there's a gap there for me. And so you got to ask yourself, what is good art? What to you in the industry and in the medium that you're working in, what value do you get from that stuff that you love 
that you want to give to other people. That's your benchmark. And here's the awesome thing. P.S. This is a little aside to this uh, thought is that once you drill down to the value you want to deliver with your work, that's your why. That's why you're doing it. The what becomes so much more open because when you know why you're making what you're making, when you get restrictive in that way, it ends up liberating you to work in any medium. You might be a comedian trying to get laughs and you can then, once you understand that you're trying to get laughs, you can use Twitter, you can use drawings on Instagram, you can use podcasts, you can use stand-up, you can use movies. It opens you up to actually diversify the methods in which you distribute that why. So it, it might feel restrictive, but it's actually liberating. All right, first thing you got to do, what kind of restaurant are you? What kind of restaurant are you? What kind of value do you serve up? Second thing you got to do is you take that value and you study the masters. You go study people who know and have proved time and time again that they know the methods and the ideologies and the structures uh, for delivering that type of value over and over. And you go study them. You go listen to what they do. You go listen to their interviews and their talks and their art, medium articles and you read everything about how they have figured out how to creatively provide this type of value because they're going to have best practices. I want to talk about Dell the Funky Homo Sapien real quick. Like 3% of my audience just went crazy. Uh, if you don't know, Del the Funky Homo Sapien was a rapper. He still is a rapper, I guess. He had uh, an album that I was a massive fan of called Del 3030, Deltron 3030. Um, but he was the guy, the rapper in that Gorillaz song, the first Gorillaz song that hit really big, that hit. And he said that he made that song. His part of that song was made from reading about what makes a good pop song, like a book, a book like Pop Music for Dummies. And it's just saying the value that you get from a pop song, there's a bunch of ideas. There's a lot of craft around that. There's a lot of best practices and you need to be up to speed on that and learn if you want to move people in a talk. There are TED Talks about how to give good TED Talks. There are studies about this is what moves people. There, you, there is a method to the creative madness. And if you, the first thing you got to do is say, what kind of food do I want to make? And then you got to say, if I want to make pizzas, I need to go to Italy. I need to go study the craft and know what it takes to do that thing. And then after you do that, uh, the third thing you got to do is pick a location. And actually, if you didn't hear anything else in this whole episode, zero in on this. I've been trying to figure out the best way to communicate this idea for ages. And this is my favorite way I've thought to explain it. Um, if you want to get a, get a growing audience, one of the key things you got to do is you got to be smart and strategic about your location. If you want to open up another pizza joint, Talking about all this pizza is making me hungry though. I, mean, I just, I think we're gonna get pizza tonight. Uh, if you wanna open a pizza joint and you go to the bank and you're like, I wanna open a pizza place, and they say, Well, where are you gonna open it? And you're like, Over here. And like, Well, they have five giant pizza establishments there that the pub, that the city's crazy about. You're gonna, you're not gonna get that loan, baby. You gotta go where there's a gap in a market. Where's a part of town where there are no pizza joints or there's not very good ones? Right? That's obvious. But in creativity, we rarely talk or think about the fact that social media platforms, uh, mediums, uh, event spaces, 
cities, all of that, locations, the places where people can connect to your work, whether it's Instagram, whether it's in print on the magazine shelves, whether it's uh, on Facebook or podcasts or whatever, the location of where you deliver this value matters. And the room in those locations, the gaps in those markets change over time and you've got to be privy to this. I have massively benefited from trying to think about where there's a gap in the market for the type of value I want to deliver and, and, and pouring in and investing in that place. I just heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this, who's a marketer, and I was like, yes, and I'm doing the thing that he said to do, and I'm like, yeah, man. He said, the two places where there's a lot of attention up for grabs still is podcasts, which that's what I'm doing, and then also in the captions of Instagram. And I noticed this thing too, back in the day, I was realizing that blogs have mostly died out and that type of content is best served uh, in Instagram. So you've got your Instagram photos, it's primarily a photo app, but people are going there to read content. And the, and the uh, posts that have performed best on my Instagram are the ones where I've written an article as my caption that pairs well with the images that I'm sharing. And uh, Gary Vee was saying the same thing. I'm like, yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. So, uh, so you need to think about where are you going to deliver these goods? Where is there a gap? Where is there some room, some attention up for grabs for the type of value that you want to deliver? Uh, people might not even be dealing in this type of value at the time. Like if you're a comedian, there was a day and age where there weren't comedy podcasts, right? You want to get in in those places. So, Instagram uh, captions, podcasts, and then I would say video, uh, captioned video on Facebook. That's where a lot of the attention on video is right now. A lot of stuff like that gets shared. And then I'd say also experiences. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of creativity is happening in real life where you go to a place like a building that's converted into a creative in real life experience. That's the thing that's happening right now. Don't take away just the ones that I'm mentioning. Mentioning don't, that you know that's not evergreen content. That's gonna that's gonna change and ebb and flow. Take away the principle that it's worthwhile when you're thinking about doing self-initiated work. When you're trying to do work that grows your audience, that considering the location is paramount. <laughs>
music, I can't see your face right now. And therefore, I can continue down the path of that, that uh, ridiculous, I don't know if it's even a pun, uh, because I'm sure if I was looking at into your eyes, you'd be giving me so much shame and disapproval that I wouldn't even get to say anymore. But anecdotes, that's what I'd call that, po- that podcast. Uh, all right. If I was a graphic designer and what I loved about graphic design is its ability to deliver this value to small, to the little guy, you know, small businesses, um, the little people in the game. And they, by giving them a brand, make them legitimate, make them go from a crappy hot dog vendor vendor to a state of the art vendor that's competing with the big guys. And I love how it, uh, let's say I'm a graphic designer and I love how a great brand can elevate the little guy's message. And I take this one in a weird way. What if I did a project where I gave endangered species a brand? Each individual, you know, go through a, an Instagram project where I brand endangered species because people, t- and kind of maybe it's even social commentary because it's like only the only thing we care about are brands. The only thing we listen to are brands. And so maybe if endangered species had a brand, we'd give them the, t- the type of... Uh, um, you know, those little guys, we would ele- elevate their legitimacy and get them some attention uh, that they need. And here's what I'm going to call the project. I've got two possible names. <laughs> they're so terrible, but they're, you know, you got to have some kind of like, you got to have a name that really encapsulates the idea of the project and the value you're trying to deliver. So we could either call it Brandimals, brand animals, get it? Brandimals or brand endangered species. Brand endangered species. All right. I'm I'm sorry. Okay. Third one. This is the last one. If I was a stand-up comedy. Comedy. If I was a a stand-up comedy. If I was a stand-up comedian. And I loved how uh, comedians use comedy and metaphor or analogy to change people's opinions on hot topics, which a lot of comedians do. Uh, you know, for instance, I think a good one was back in the movie 5050 with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh, there's an offhanded comment that Seth Rogen says, and he's like, Why do these religious people uh, get into the sex lives of other people and try to tell them what they can or can't do? Uh, it's, and it's like they, they're on a, on a diet and they are not allowing other people to eat donuts because of it. Like if you don't want, if you don't want to do that stuff, fine. But why are you getting into other people's uh, sex lives? And that's an example of what I mean by that. So you might like, you might be that type of person. And so here's what I would do. I would do a project and maybe also let's go with the Seth Rogen thing and just say you happen to be a a stoner. We'll call the, (laughs) and you'll do these Facebook videos that are captioned of these little uh, analogies that you think paint these hot button issues in a different light and kind of change people's opinions through these jokes. (laughs) You call it hot takes and pot breaks. Uh, And, you know, you might, (laughs) I came up with one, which is, this isn't really a hot button issue, but it is like an analogy. And it could be like, yo, (laughs) this is my stoner guy. And he's, this is his, uh, this is his idea, not mine. I didn't come up with this. Um, he says, yo, dude, have you ever felt like 
your 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 phone case was a diaper. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm glad you're listening to this podcast right now. Here, here's the idea. Sometimes when people are walking around without phone cases on their iPhones, it makes me feel like uh, I'm like a toddler in diapers. You know, with my giant case to keep my phone secure, it makes me feel like I'm a child who can't take care of his stuff, like real adults that don't need phone cases. But I think it's also kind of like uh, the op. It's your phone case is kind of like the opposite of a diaper because you know <laughs> you need that big bulky waterproof case because you do drop them in the toilet. So. <laughs> That's fine. That would be my first Facebook. It's so terrible. Uh, my first Facebook analogy for stand-up comedy. But as you can see with these examples, back to the business and not my musings on diapers and iPhone cases. Um, <laughs> I can't move on. Uh, back to that. That's exactly what I mean by identifying the type of value that you want to uh to give and finding the right location using one of these places in the market where there's still attention to be had. And if you did that Facebook video, you could even then uh, promote it with Facebook ads um, to people that like the type of comedians that you like, right? That do that you could that deliver the type of value that you want to deliver. Um, yeah, so that's what I would do. this really interesting thing that happens they talk a lot about it in psychology uh this idea that you know your internal world kind of gets mirrored in your external uh and i think this idea of either being distracted by your ego or led by your intuition i think it kind of mirrors your relationship to other people and how they relate to your work and i think when you follow your ego and your, your ultimate goal is to please yourself, uh, that you're looking for, you often get caught up looking for affirmation and cr the critics saying that you're worthy, affirming you as a person, saying, yeah, you are amazing, you are awesome, and glorifying you. And it kind of has this ego mirroring and needing the critics' approval. And I think the flip side of that, this idea of following your intuition uh, to, to serve not yourself in, in the making of the stuff, but to serve you as the customer, uh, this idea of people like you and delivering value to those people, I think that that gets mirrored in connecting, connection with your audience. And so if ego is mirrored in trying to please the critics, Following your intuition is mirrored in trying to connect with your audience. That's, it's a special relationship with those people. And I saw this so uh, fantastically illustrated in the movie The Greatest Showman. So The Greatest Showman is a musical, and somehow I'm turning into a person that appreciates musicals. I don't know. I used to not, but now some musicals are getting me, man, and I'm loving every minute of it. Uh, <laughs> Because I don't know, there's something about it. But The Greatest Showman, you know, I think critically, I could see some flaws. And uh, 
and it's funny because in the movie, uh, well, I was going to say, I could critically see some flaws, but I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And it made me cry like 18 times. I was caught up in it, and I just uh, it connected to me. Uh, and it's funny because the movie is really about, I think it's Barnum, P.T. Barnum. He's the guy who starts the circus. And uh, in the movie, he gets this crazy, rabid, uh, obsessed audience that loves his circus, but he ends up getting distracted by the critics and trying to prove himself, prove the worth of his ego to the critics because the critics pan his circus so he, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he goes down this path that ultimately leads to, ultimately leads a lot of destruction, trying to prove himself to his critics instead of trying to connect and serve his audience. And, uh, and I think it's so funny that that's what the movie's about and the audiences of the movie loved it and the critics hated it. So it got, didn't get a great, didn't get great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, but got raving reviews from the audience. And uh, I just think that's funny. So this, how does this relate to you? Okay, let me go one more place and then I'm gonna circle back. I'm gonna get to that. But it reminds me of being in high school. So in the past, I've talked to you about high school. I've talked about how I spent the first couple of years of high school, pretty much freshman, sophomore, ju- junior year, really, really miserable, trying to earn the affections of the cool people, trying to be the cool kid. And at the cost of my own uh, connections, I didn't have any real friends trying to be cool. And uh, it wasn't until I threw all off that, tried to be myself and really connect to people like me that I found real friends and real joy and enjoyment in my community. And I didn't get that. I'm sad that I didn't get that until senior year. And uh, I feel, I look back on Andy early in my career and I look back at people getting started in their creative path and I'm like, man, don't spend three-fourths of your career serving your ego, trying to be one of the cool kids, trying to be one of the creative elites. Like, don't get caught up in that distraction of the ego. It's funny because I look at myself trying to be cool or these people in the industry trying to be like the creative elites, not knowing that trying to be like someone else is the thing that negates your ability to be a creative elite. Like the only people that can, to rise, that can rise above are the people that quit trying to be like other people and be themselves and have authentic connections with their audience. And I think, uh, I think about the purpose of art you know, why we need art as a society, why you started making art. And I'm guessing like there's a part of you, you know, I know we're creative professionals. We know how to go into the job and look fancy pants, do the part, be legit in that way, uh, keep all of our emotions underneath our, uh, 
shirts. <laughs> uh, that's not a phrase, but you get it. Uh, you know, all the while, a lot of us creative types started off emo, right? Like, uh, I was always emo in high school. I didn't listen to emo music. I did the, the hip-hop equivalent of emo, which was R&B. Cried myself to sleep to boys to men every night. Uh, feeling feelings. And I'm guessing you might be like me. And part of the reason you're so attracted to creativity is its ability to connect its ability to articulate, you know, a movie that you're passionate about, a song you're passionate about, its ability to make you feel heard when you hear somebody communicate your experience. And it makes you feel less alone in that connection. And there's nothing I want more for you than to figure out how to get what you've, figure out what you've got inside and Study how to get it out in such a way that it lands with an audience that says, we see you, we get what you're doing, and we love it. Keep making that stuff for us. And I want that so bad for your creativity. Let's do it. Hey, thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it does something for you and it makes you feel like you want to do something for it, there's, there's some, uh, if you feel that prompt, then uh, you, you can go. There's plenty of ways that you can give back and support the show. You can review and rate the show on iTunes. That helps us climb the iTunes charts and become more visible to people like you. Uh, you can back the podcast financially and become a super fan creative pep heroni uh, at patreon.com slash creative pep talk or you can get some creative pep talk merch uh, at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. You can also on creativepeptalk.com sign up for the newsletter, be notified when a new episode drops in your email and have access to the first hundred episodes. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to the band Metavari, my man Nate Utesh for some of those other tunes. Thanks to Alex Sugg for making this podcast sound so good, editing it so well, and adding some of your own music, which really elevates this uh, show. Thank you, sir. Thanks to all of you guys for listening every week. Your whole, uh, the connection that I have with you guys as an audience is a ridiculous, tremendous uh, blessing and privilege in my life, and it means the world to me. Um, and I'm honored to serve you with this podcast every week. Fresh pep in your door, step, and uh, yeah. And I hope that you are filled to overflowing so you can put another week onto the creative career path. And next week, when you're feeling low, you can come back. But until then, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.